0: So, Jack Maxwell, I have to tell you, you are a hero of mine. And I think for a lot of people, for a lot of reasons, for me, it was just you on Booze Traveler had the job, I would have imagined, and it's not even a job, because if you love it, it's not a job, right? Right. You have the, the honor of traveling the world and not just drinking with people, but creating a bond through culture, through the culture of food and drink, and you're enthusiasm and your empathy the way you interact with people around the world was just inspiring not to mention you got to try all this great food and booze and as booze traveler implies it's a perfect title for that but I know you do a lot of other things but I just want to talk about that for a second because that's where I first saw you and I, I told my wife I go you got to see this guy he's awesome he's in Armenia this week and I'm Armenian I'm like Oh, my God, the national sport of Armenia is arm wrestling. And I learned that from you. So, Jack, welcome. That's a pretty crazy setup. But welcome to the Many Screens Big Picture Podcast for Comscore. I'm honored to have you here.
1: Thank you, Paul. It's really good to be here. Congratulations on your podcast. You know. Thank you. In that wonderfully uh, descriptive and uh, overly nice introduction you gave me, you said it was an honor for me. And I completely agree. It was Mm -hmm. uh, such an honor to be able to see the world, uh, not only the things of the world, but more importantly to me, the people of the world and their cultures. You know, I was not um, well, I I suppose I, I was a learned person through books and maybe the Internet or television, movies, whatever I could learn about different cultures, but it doesn't replace being there on the ground actually talking to Maasai warriors or Mongolian nomads or uh, sumo wrestlers in Japan and having that experience, that personal face-to-face experience, which I miss so much in this pandemic, even domestically, locally. But to be able to do that and to share some drinks, I couldn't have said it better. It really was an honor.
0: Yeah, and you really, I think your humanity came through so much in all those episodes. And also I think you would agree that the um, – They call booze social lubricant, and I think that's kind of true because sometimes people need that to kind of loosen up. And then you find, you know, they say when you first meet somebody, you notice the differences, but when you start to get, you know, after five minutes having a drink, you recognize all the similarities between you, whether you're in any country in the world, whether in the U.S. or internationally, kind of that bond. And and what you pointed out to me was that each, each city, each country, each culture had its own drinking rituals, a different mythology around the drink, whatever it may be, either a local or a national cocktail or specific spirit. It, it was literally for me watching you, it's like mixology, but really through a cultural lens in a way. You kind of you're the mixologist in a really interesting way because you're mixing culture and booze, not you know, Aperol and Champagne or whatever you do with Aperol
1: Wow, what a wonderful observation You're 100% right, that's exactly right You know, I was never a bartender Even though people thought I was Because I said growing up in the bars of South Boston In the intro, I was just I shined shoes, that's what I meant by growing up in the bars So I I know how to make drinks Don't get me wrong, I pulled a few corks on my day Etc, but that was to me The real mixology Like you said, mixing our cultures And you also Something else I'd like to talk about alcohol as a social lubricant. The reason I love it so much, and I don't mean love physically drinking alcohol, although although I do, it's both a physical lubricant and also uh, it affects you mentally, emotionally. I think when you sit down with someone over a drink, you're saying it's okay. It's like you put down your weapons or you put the wall down that exists to protect ourselves from getting our feelings hurt or physically hurt. You know, you put your fists down, not that people walk around like that, but just emotionally you're saying, if we have a drink together, we're simpatico, right? We're cool. It's like a big liquid hug, right? Yeah. So not only does it affect you that way, but then physically, alcohol also relaxes you. That's why it was just the perfect thing for me to do through the lens of a cocktail glass, as we say, because of what it did to the other people. I saw them before. We started shooting how they were. Maybe they were a little nervous. Uh, sure. Maybe they didn't want to talk about their culture. They didn't feel they were a good representative of it. Or English was a second or third language to them. Or they didn't speak English at all. We had an interpreter. And okay. they, they weren't sure of my motivations. But once I got a chance to just say hey to them and let them know I wanted to honor their culture and just find out about them. And There's nothing they could do or say that would be wrong as long as it was honest, truly representative of who they were. They didn't have to put on airs or put their best foot forward. It was nothing like that. I just wanted to be with them. And when they shared with me their food, their friends, their family, their culture, their drinks, it just made it so much better because it, I'm not a professional interviewer, but to be with them, to play their sport, to have, like you say, arm wrestling in Armenia, et cetera, or to just walk their city or to have a drink or to do something else or to ride in the tuk-tuk or on a camel or in a hot air balloon. That just enhanced the experience for me. And of course, the drinks even doubled that then. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) It's so cool. And how did you come up with the idea for the show? You pitched it and it got picked up. And then I want to get back into more of the social aspect. I think a lot of listeners may wonder, how do I take my dream scenario or my idea and turn it into action. You know, so many people have great ideas for shows or YouTube channels, whatever it may be, but you were on air and your show was, I think I'm using the proper term picked up and widely watched and successful. How did that all come together for booze traveler?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I'll let you know when it happens for the first time, because it wasn't my idea. I didn't pitch it. All I did was go on an audition. Really? these two very creative artistic women who were friends and they had the idea and they held open auditions and they were crazy enough to give it to me. And the only thing crazier than that was if I would say no to it, I wasn't exactly what they were looking for, but somehow we clicked, we hit it off. They thought that in the end I was right for it. And then they try to sell it. It's not like it's sold right away. Travel Channel hadn't commissioned it. They filmed it. They were brave and doing all the work themselves and putting up their own money. And then Travel Channel eventually bought it from them. Then, like you say, it was picked up. We had four seasons, about just under 60 countries, I think, six continents. Wow. Uh, and I, I did a couple other things for Travel Channel. I did a show called Booze Travel, the best bars, which are all the best bars domestically. I've seen that. Uh, my category, best beach bar, best biker bar, best tiki, whatever, uh, you know, sports bar, whatever the deal was, best yeah. bar with you. And then I uh, did a, a show for them called The Trip. For three of the four seasons, the first year I didn't because we weren't sure if it was going to get picked up. But after that, I was uh, either the male host or one of them every year for the trip. So that was also fun, too. I mean, it was a blessing. The Travel Channel gave me the job of a lifetime as well as these two women who created the show. But I didn't really pitch it. It wasn't my idea. The only thing uh, that was mine was two things. Uh, The title. They asked me to come up with a name. Oh, well. So I gave them that Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, fine, um, we'll take it. <laughs> and the other thing that was mine is how I hosted the show. I mean, there were a lot of different opinions on how I should do it. In the end, the network backed me completely and let me do it the way uh, I, I should or the way that was authentically me. And, you know, I got a lot of help from the production company, Cargo 7. You know, they're professional. Mm-hmm. They have so many shows on the air. So I would never want anyone to think I did it alone or I'm taking the credit. Sure. Not at all. It started with the idea of these two ladies who are friends. Travel Channel had to back it and support it, and the production company had to make it. They did all the technical work to make my job easier. So it was really a team effort, uh, but I would say I benefited the most. Maybe not financially. I mean, I don't know how it goes, selling airtime and sure. the producers, what they made and all that. I don't know about that. But I always believed that our lives were – more enhanced by our experiences, not our material gains, right? right? So it's not about the house or the car, the fancy shoes or a suit or whatever. It was about the experiences you have. Because when I came back from each time we shot segments, you know, we'd shoot maybe eight the first year and then take a break and then four and then take a break or whatever, people were asking me stories. What was it like <laughs> to see the uh, the Eiffel Tower or the Gobi Desert or whatever, Yeah. The Coliseum, any of it? I was talking about the people, you know, it was never the physical objects, right? That well, that's, that's
0: what I always felt when watching you was that, that bond that you created with everyone you had on the show and the way you just immersed yourself in the culture and learned everything about it. And then specifically learned about the people that you were talking to, whether you are hanging out with a family or a group of friends, and it seemed like they embraced you and going back to what you said earlier after a couple of drinks, it makes it like, hey, we're all kind of in this together. And just, I don't know, I think they hit the jackpot with you, Jack, no pun intended, in terms of uh, picking you because I just remember seeing you for the first time. And just to full transparency, I met you in an industry event and I was starstruck because when you see someone on the screen and you watch them all the time and you admire what they do, you never think you're going to run into them. And I rarely, if ever, will approach anyone. I had had a couple of drinks not with you at that point, so I was emboldened to do that. And I I knew that you would be cool. Some people you wonder, is this just not an act, but is this really how kind and cool they are? You were just so, uh, I felt like we had known each other forever. I, I'm not saying you felt the same way, but I just felt a connection with you. So for you to be on here right now is just really, really cool to me.
1: Oh, thank you, Paul. No, I'm glad you did. You know, and I have to say, I get messages on social media from people who say, Hey, I saw you at a restaurant, or I saw you at the park, (laughs) or at the basketball court, or at an event, or at the movies. And I I wanted to tell you I liked your show and to say hi, and it would be cool to meet you, but I just didn't want to bother you. And every time I say the same thing, please do it next time. (laughs) You're not bothering me. Clearly, there are times when it's not the most appropriate. If you're having dinner, with someone and someone just comes up and stands there and doesn't leave um, and wants to join us or something What I'm saying is there are boundaries, but they're hardly ever broken because, for me, they're a mile wide. I, I, I enjoy interactions with people. This is who I was on the show. It wasn't an act. I wasn't hosting it. I wasn't putting on. Right. I said if I do this, I have to do it as I w- would because I think – People can sense whether it's authentic or not. And if I'm doing this, and then as soon as the cameras shut off, I'm someone else, people know they're really smart. People who watch TV might do it for entertainment or as background noise, but they're really smart, and they can tell that. One of the greatest compliments I ever get is, oh, you're just like you are on TV? (laughs) Because as an actor, also, I did that for a long time before I ever did hosting – uh, you, you you're not that character, you know. I could tell you times I was on 90210 or Lost and played characters, and people came up to me and asked me questions: why my character did this and why didn't I do that? Right? Like, it's written on the script. <laughs> this, is, this is what I have to do, but it's totally fair question for Boost Traveler. You know, this, that, or the other, because you know, you're in the moment, and everything we do, although the scenes were were planned in that we called them and asked them if we could come. Very little was structured. So I, I think that the greatest thing is the discovery in the moment, enjoying what's happening and really caption the authenticity. Even, even if it's awkward, like they don't know and they're looking around at cameras and all of that. I don't tell them, no, don't look at the camera Right. be yourself Right. because we want to capture that. You know, we want someone to look around to say, Hey, am I safe? Are they look in the camera because they're curious. I think that's the beauty of it because it's real. Then, it's not a TV show. It's an experience, and that's what I was going for whenever I did the show.
0: I've been on camera from time to time doing interviews. After a while, you forget there's a mic on you. You, for, I mean, sometimes that's bad.
1: But Yeah, I've gone, <laughs> I've gone to the men's room many times, forgot that I had a mic.
0: <laughs> Wasn't it Naked Gun where Leslie Nielsen went to the bathroom with a mic on? It's a classic scene. But I want to talk Absolutely. about the acting part. So you, you've been on a lot of shows, 90210, you mentioned, and, and others. How did you get into the acting side? Was that early on, and uh, was that a passion yours from a young age, or did you develop that over time? Did you have a friend or family member who encouraged you to do that?
1: Well, no, I think it was a, a long time uh, idea of mine before it ever became a passion. When I was a little kid, I either wanted to play for the Red Sox or the Bruins because I loved Bobby Orr. And uh, the Red Sox were Boston's team, you know, the Bruins. The Celtics were winning championships in the 60s when I was born. But it just wasn't as popular as hockey. And then, of course, the Red Sox, because they ripped our hearts out so often. (laughs) Last time they had won a World Series was 1918 until they finally won in 2004. And now we have four of them. Anyway, the idea is I was watching television a lot as a little kid because kids did back then. If I wasn't playing outside, I'd be watching TV. And I was just fascinated. More than my friends were, they took it for what it was. But I was interested in the the behind-the-scenes machinations of it all. Even though when I was a kid, I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Actually, I just learned that a month ago. No, I'm just kidding. I did, too. (laughs) Um, And so I was, you know, like one of the shows I really liked, and I've told the story before, was Batman and Robin. And one day, over breakfast, I'm eating it fast because I want to go watch Batman and Robin or something. And my mother says, you know that Batman isn't Batman and Robin isn't Robin. You know that. I'm like yeah of course it's what were the characters names uh Bruce
0: Wayne and and Grayson
1: <laughs> Dick Grayson <laughs> and she said no they're not even that actually they're <laughs> actors playing that and that confused my little brain at the time i said what do you mean and she said no people study they become actors they do that I'm, Really, the lights went off because I can put on tights and slide down a bat pole and pick up the bat phone and call Commissioner Gordon. That would be easy. I know this series by heart, inside and out. She said, well, it's not not really that simple. So I always wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. But as a kid growing up in the D Street Projects in South Boston, you didn't really talk about acting a lot. I didn't know a single person who was an actor. As a matter of fact, I didn't know anybody who even knew. An actor my mother's friend was married to a musician who once played with Otis Redding that was it that's wow. the biggest thing in the world it's <laughs> we all know sitting on the dock of the bay and everything else and I was so starstruck by this guy and he was the nicest guy too and they were in a interracial relationship and they got so much crap from the people at the time and all of that and wow. they were both so sweet it made me cry because I understood that people were giving them a hard time about it and using the N-word and all that. But they were both the nicest people, so I looked up to them as people as well. But I didn't know any actors. So I would say to the older kids in the neighborhood, on occasion, when we're playing street hockey or whatever, I'd say, hey, how do you become an actor? (laughs) And they looked at me like I had three heads. (laughs) I do want to be an actor, boy. That's crazy. What are you, a sissy or something? And so I kept burying that feeling. But then uh, when I was just about 13... My mother moved us from South Boston, Southie as they call it, to uh, Phoenix mm-hmm. because she wanted a better life for us, and she thought that's maybe not the best place to grow up for a couple of kids. And uh, not that you couldn't grow up good there. I've known a lot of really salt oh, of the earth, good-hearted people that came uh, from the projects. But I guess it's tougher. And she just didn't want to live in this. She was a single mom. And sometimes it could be dangerous there. You know, sometimes there are problems and mm-hmm. what have you. So she she a just, better
0: life uh, for you guys.
1: Yeah, what, what, or what she at least felt would be a better mm-hmm. life. So uh, we moved out to Phoenix, and then in seventh grade, I was out. I said, oh, fresh start. Nobody to make fun of me. What's this acting stuff all about? So uh, I talked to a, a counselor or something starting seventh grade, junior high school out here in Phoenix, where I am now because I was doing uh, – my chemo treatments are there for cancer. Mm-hmm. But the counselor said, Oh yeah, you, it's called drama classes. And we have them. We offer those after school. Wait a minute. <laughs> after school. Isn't that when we do sports? And ah, with a the
0: light bulb. Yes. Yeah,
1: with a <laughs> wink and a nod that I didn't quite understand at the time the counselor said, Well, generally, son, you either do one or the other. You're not interested <laughs> in both. So I said, oh, I want to do sports. Are you kidding me? I'm a new kid. I want people to like me, and I want girls to like me, and I'm pretty decent at sports for my age. Let's do sports. So we did that, and then high school comes around uh, a couple of years later, and they say, oh, well, uh, actually, it's an elective is what it's called, and you can take it, and you don't, and you can still play sports afterwards. So
0: for you, this is – Everything, the best of both worlds. I want to go back, though, really quick to what the Batman... But I didn't do it, but it didn't
1: work out in high school. The first few days, the freshmen got to walk around into all the classes to see if they liked it and all that. And I walked into the drama class, and they were all doing this thing that I didn't quite get. Maybe they were reciting Shakespeare, or they were practicing a musical or things like that. It was just way intimidating, uh, it was way too much for me. And I thought, oh, no, no, not that kind of acting. I want to—I <laughs> don't want to be in a musical and all that. You want to be on Batman. With- <laughs> and, 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 but it's its only because I didn't feel I had the talent. I had nothing against musicals. Of course. I, I couldn't sing or dance. And Shakespeare, that totally intimidated me. Here I am, a kid from Boston, still with an accent. There's no way I'm going to be accepted as as that kind of an actor. Meanwhile, years later, I did a classical piece on stage uh, Salome with, uh, Al Pacino and Diane Weiss and Jessica Justine. So, uh, that worked out in seventh grade. It never would have, but the idea is after that, I kind of buried it for a long time.
0: I think we grew up in about the same era. I'm probably a a little bit older than you are. And I remember for me, the Batman show, I remember we had a black and white TV. That's how old I am. And I remember my dad bought a brand new RCA console TV. And the first show I ever saw, it's probably 1966 or something in color was batman batman and robin that was the with adam west and burt ward we're talking about way back. No, no, i love that show <laughs> and my friends and i remember the fight scenes where they go boom pow and they'd have the thought bubble i don't know what you call it
1: everybody knows them that's exactly right
0: Yeah. Uh, we would I, all stand I, up I, and start mock fighting in the living room to that oh, every time that came on boom. On ABC yeah, right. in color, I remember, and that. the villains was so great. Oh, Caesar Romero, <laughs> yeah, but
1: Burgess Meredith was really an underrated actor. He was so great in everything. Yeah, you know, he did Twilight Zone episodes, that's of course, and, and the one he, was, he was, he was Mickey and Rocky, just so great. But he he's, can just transform himself, and he was the Penguin, of course. You know that whole uh, get that bat fiend in the body <laughs> worker. That it voice. was just. so and the villains were just so great on that show, but you never were really scared because I was a little I was born in 1962. So, you know, I was scared enough, but it was colorful and cartoony. So I thought it always ends well, right? Unless it was to be continued. I remember once Robin was in a giant clam or oyster that or something. That scared
0: me. The- that. Yeah, I-
1: me too. I had nightmares about I that. I did. And but the
0: generally- one. Guys, won where somebody gets thrown into the reactor in the back cave. I was freaking out because yeah. I yeah. was born in '61, so I'm only like a year older than you. So, okay. but I remember, you know, when you were talking about like you would watch Batman and Robin. I remember I wanted to be an actor uh, for about you know a little period there when I was young because of the show, The Courtship of Eddie's Father. If you remember, with people let me tell you about, about my, my best friend. <laughs> I love that show, Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby and Brandon Cruz as little... Editors. Wow, good call. Oh, uh, you know, I'm into this stuff. And I, I think John Sebastian sang the title song. He did from Love and Spoonful. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think I got that right. Uh, I love music too, and I'm sure you do as well. Wow, we're we're all over the place, but I love this. And, and so did you go to L.A. to get on these shows? Did you audition? How did you go from Phoenix and drama and, and high school... And all that, and then wind up on. If you want to name some of the shows you you were on, how did you? How were you cast on those shows? How did that all come together?
1: Well, I left Phoenix to go to Boston uh, to go live with my father for a little while to get to know him. So I didn't really have much of a relationship with him when I was young. That's a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. Then I came back to Phoenix because he went to prison, and so <laughs> then I went back to Boston six, seven years later and um, a friend of mine and I decided to move to Las Vegas. I walked into an audition thinking, okay, now I can do it, even though I didn't have any training whatsoever, not a single acting class or anything. Right. Uh, And I was scared to death, and I was really horrible. Uh, But the good thing was I was a little clever, I would say. I took the, the book home with me and came back a few days later and said, I'd like to audition again, please. And they said, what do you mean again? Were you here the other day? And I said, yes. They said, oh, because um, I pointed to a sheet of paper on the cork board that said auditions, let's say, Tuesday oh, and Saturday. That is clever. And I said I could come back, right? I didn't mean to be clever. I just thought, okay, I could come back. It said Tuesday <laughs> and Saturday or whatever the days were. And they said, oh, no, um, we have to call you back. That's what callbacks mean. See the callbacks are the on the Mm -hmm. second day whatever and they said okay while you're here we'll let you do it and i had improved enough so they thought maybe they had a little piece of clay that they could help they offered me a bigger part and uh, i'm still friends with the woman who i i met there who was kind of my mentor she had a son who was a well-known actor and done a bunch of things at the time And she said, you know, you got a little something there. You should pursue this. Mm -hmm. And she made up my first resume because she owned a printing shop. Just a wonderful lady named Lois Brown, who I just saw and I hope to see again soon. And that was the beginning of it for me. They gave me that part. Then I auditioned for a bigger part at another theater company, on the other side of town as soon as that play was over. Actually, it wasn't even over yet. And they gave me the lead in that, which was crazy. I was doing two plays at once and I still hadn't taken an acting class. I said, time to take this serious because I know this is what I wanna do the rest of my life. That's
0: beautiful. I I think too, when you talk about stage acting, for me, I think that would be the most daunting, challenging because you know they say, public speaking is the biggest fear, one of the top two fears. If you're on a movie set or you're on a television set or you're on location and they're filming, that's one thing which is amazing and brilliant. But to be on stage live in front of a live audience, oh, I mean, you're combining so many fear factors, at least for me. I I can't speak for you. What is the process? Is it different for that? Let's say you're going to do a guest stint on 90210 versus you're going to be on stage tonight with all the great actors that you mentioned earlier how do you mentally prepare for that? Or are you just like cool as a cucumber or is it good to have some fear? Does that help you?
1: Yeah, you know, everyone will ha- would have a different answer to that. Uh, technically, it's different, of course, because if you're filming television or film and they're close on you, you don't want to make wild gyrations necessarily because then you'd be out of frame or, sure. or, or you, know. you you want to respect the technical aspect of it. You want to make sure you hit your mark. Sometimes the marks on stage are looser mm-hmm. uh, and you have more room to play on on television and film of course they're they're mostly preset uh so that you know you they can capture all the action and the dialogue etc uh, but as far as emotionally preparing i I feel that uh I think that's that's really uh misconstrued because there are acting classes in L.A. that would say acting for the stage, acting for commercials, acting for theater, actor for how oh, they uh, compartmentalize um, it, all these different categories Yeah, and and how to act for a co-star, how to act for a guest star. I, I think if you have the basic fundamentals and you work on them constantly, I think you could probably figure it out. If you can't, then I don't know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it because, you know, I, I think the second biggest business in Hollywood after making television and film and whatever is separating actors from their money, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And there are so many bad acting classes. I know I've been in them, and people who are just taking money, either they're just te- patting you on the back, saying how wonderful you are constantly, giving you confidence. Not that that's horrible. But you want someone who's lived it and been experienced and understands what you're about to face when you go on auditions. I know people who are professionally just been in acting classes. That's all I did. They, when yeah. they go out, they don't get jobs because they're so uncomfortable there. And I just wanted to do it all. I don't, I don't mind being uncomfortable. I think as an artist, we walk around uncomfortable because we understand what's going on. And if that you have to feel joy and sadness, and it's about the pathos to understand what people are going through in their lives, and and when you play that kind of character, to to actually have felt that, to understand it, even if you haven't done it yourself, like they say, oh, you, how can you play a murderer? Which I just did in a, in a film that just debuted the other day. I can mm-hmm. you play a murderer. You never killed someone. No, but I've wanted
0: to. <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you just have to understand the character. You don't want to judge him. You want to say, you know, I understand why someone could do this kind of thing. So I. For, for me it's all about you know preparation and then letting it go because yeah. look you know, i'm no i'm no rocket scientist i'm not the best actor in the world i'm i'm not the smartest or anything like that i just know i want to do it so you know i could never teach it i don't think just like with hosting when i started doing it i just said all right i don't know what a host does and by the way there's a ton of hosting classes too and they've asked me to to teach them and they would pay me money to do so of course right. And I said, I can't. I don't know the technical aspect on how to be a good host. Get a journalist in here who is a news anchor, who, you know, can teach the basics. I don't even have. I only finished high school. I didn't I don't have a college degree. I took a couple of classes at a community college, not even acting classes. So I I don't know how to teach this. I, I would say be yourself if you're going to be a host. And if people want who you are, they'll hire you. If they don't, they won't. But, but right. to try to put on a face, I can always see when someone's doing that. Yeah. And uh, just, just recently, I posted a funny little joke. And so many people uh, on one side of the political spectrum got really upset. And they F you and, you know, oh, man. How, can, how can you say that? And you lost your whole fan base now and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and it was really man. mild compared to everything that's been going on with all that is happening in the United States. Right. I couldn't understand how they picked that to, to get be upset about. A, right. And, and listen, I, people un- understand. I, I, I hope I'm an empathetic, sympathetic, caring, thoughtful person. And that's the side of politics that I'm on. And mm-hmm. I've had a friend for a long time. And I mean, decades, Paul, who wouldn't be my friend anymore. He said, because he's not talking to anyone who's not, One hundred percent behind the president. If you're not all Trump, a hundred percent, he doesn't want you in his life. And I said, I mean, all these years of being friends, we can't have political differences and still be friends. And I think that's really sad. So I stay away from politics for the most part on social media. I do too. But I couldn't resist this little joke. They all came out of the woodwork, and of course, I had my my defenders. And I had my backers, but it just—it was just crazy that they'd be so offended, that they'd swear and threaten, and never gonna watch anything you do ever again, and all these. Wow. Bad things. Really, it was really kind of—it was—it was, it was thought provoking in a sense. But then I understood, you know, I probably don't want those people to be friends with me on
0: social media anyway. Well, that's exactly right. And I think too, i, I never get political, and I some of my <laughs> greatest, longest running friends, we don't see to, eye to eye on politics. But, you know, what we see eye to eye on what we're drinking, you know, grilling a good steak, uh, really? the TV shows and the music we love. And we focus on that because they're probably not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change there. I love these guys and gals, but we just don't go there. And I don't even try
1: to Paul, well, That's such a good point. I don't even try to change their minds. It was it was it, of everything that was happening. It was the mildest little joke. And so many people came back with claws and fangs out. And I said, just like I did on the show, which I learned from traveling the world, because people ask me, what's the one lesson you learned more than any other (laughs) show? And I said, it's that we have more in common than we do differences. Exactly. Who we are, the color of our skin, our religion, our geographical distances, doesn't matter. What we like to eat, drink, the sports we like to play, we have more in common. Why can't we focus on that?
0: But I think that's really important. And,
1: and that's why I stay out of politics. I know how I'm voting and I know that I want a better world than we have now. And I hope we can come together again because I've never seen us more divided. So I let all of that go. I didn't say anything mean back to anyone.
0: No, it's not worth it. You know, you, you let it no. kind of blow over, but it is eye-opening, right? You do something that you think is innocuous. I even self-edit all the time. I look up, Uh, sayings to make sure somebody's not... And I'm like, I've been saying whatever it is for years. I'm like, what if there's something about that that I'm not seeing? Like, today, more than ever, you have to see the big picture. Sure. And that doesn't mean you should just watch everything. You know, you got to be you, too. You have to
1: be. You can't be too precious or too sensitive about it. Yeah. Because one of the things, and I said it earlier, is I want people who follow me on social media to know the real me. You know? Yeah. I don't know why these people thought... Some of them I'm talking about now thought I was extreme in, on their side because I'm not extreme on either side, but certainly not that side. <laughs> to say, How could you not? And I thought and from watching the show, I thought you were this and that. And that. Then you weren't paying attention. Yeah. And they're projecting. Because I reached across continents not just the political divide and brought people into my circle and 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 was happy to go into theirs and you see how I got along with people never once on the show ever in all those 70 plus episodes did I ever say what's your political affiliation right because it doesn't matter it's not the most important thing but if I were well, on well, their side Boy, they were—they were not having it. They—they, I'm they gonna unfollow you and don't let me see you. And you suck. And I hope you die. And I hope you oh, get cancer. God, again. Awful. really stupid awful. stuff. Because all you're doing is—is is you show me who you are. It's—it's—it's it's more of a statement of you than it is about
0: me, of course. Hundred percent. Well, you know, I remember growing up, my mom and dad always said, and it's such a cliche, but it's true. Never talk about religion or politics. And that was before now. I mean, we're talking. Decades ago when, they, when my parents were instilling that in me, and I think a lot of people live by that, but today that's off the, t- the table. It's sort of like uh, the thing to do is to talk about these very controversial subjects, and that's what I love about what you do, and particularly, I think more than ever, Booze Traveler, are you planning to you know, eventually do the show again or do something like that? Because I think it's so important what you did in that show, and I think it'd be more relevant and more needed than ever before no matter what side of the political spectrum you might be on.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think it brought a lot of people together. I mean, before they knew my politics or presumed politics, and yeah. they ran away and, and gave me the evil eye and all of that. Oh, yeah, but
0: well, I'll tell you a quick story, and it, it's somewhat relevant. I was in a, uh, how shall I say, a place where they sell booze. <laughs> and I'm in the Scotch Isle. And I'm having a discussion with this guy. And all of a sudden, we're like best friends. And I'm suggesting this scotch or this whiskey. Oh, you try this and try that. When we walked away, I thought, you know what? He could be completely different than me politically or in any other way. It didn't matter in that moment because we were totally bonding over picking great single malt scotch. And I know it sounds simplistic and people are going to laugh at that, but – those are the kinds of things that I think bring people together, uh, and I think it's really important now more than ever.
1: I agree, and to answer your question about the show, after the fourth season, I, I was, went into chemo, and uh, that's... I want to I talk was, about that, Jack. You mentioned yeah, that that's when, when they canceled the show, and I, I'm not putting it on Travel Channel. They had sold, uh, scripts owned all the networks that Travel Channel owned, uh hgtv food travel great american country cooking and diy and discovery wanted to move in a more uh paranormal uh i guess direction with travel channel so they changed out a couple of shows so i, I i'm not saying that they canceled because i had cancer or because oh, I of chemo. i don't believe that i'll never know the true answer but i don't believe that they just made a decision that's best for them and their stockholders and the viewers. So I, I'm very grateful to travel channel for everything they gave me, but they own the name, which is now owned by discovery. And so if I came back to do something again, well, there's a few things in the way, even though I came up with the name, I don't own it. So I'd have to call it something else. Sure. And right now with all the travel restrictions going on. Right. And not only that, even when COVID breaks, so to speak, and I hope that's sooner than later uh, on top of that, We used to have one of the best passports in the world, and now we can't go to a lot of countries. And I don't know when that's going to change because with the amount of cases we have, I think countries will probably leave that up for a while, even though, you know, we do so much business together and all of that, and they want tourists. So I think it's going to be a struggle from a technical standpoint, just getting across borders. But also, of course, with the pandemic, who knows how that's going to go if i do the show again or something like it which i'd be very happy to do yeah uh although i'm working on a couple other ideas but uh right now it doesn't look like it's gonna go or they will get another host and call it that like they have with other shows
0: well there's no other host in my eyes oh well thank you, you for that
1: but anyone can do <laughs> that show. they would just do it their own way
0: well let me ask you then i mean that is a very practical point of uh, that you know, it, the very nature of that show is traveling and being immersed literally in a culture, sure. being communal, all the things we really can't do right now. But I, I'm going to throw this out there. The way we're talking right now, and I know it's not the same as being there, but we could be having a drink, talking about things, might be able to do it in the virtual realm. There you go. And uh, I've got my <laughs> uh, I'm not pushing you too hard. I just want to see you doing that kind of show again, and even if it's virtual, I think no matter what, your personality, all that comes through. But to uh, so to whatever extent you want to talk about chemo and cancer, unless what you spoke of, that's the limit of what you want to do. You can add more if you want, no pressure there. Whatever
1: you want to ask me. I could, I could talk about the cancer thing, the chemo. It's, I'm an open book. I mean, everyone knows everything about me anyway. That's the internet these days. <laughs> but at the same time, and I was surprised by this, when I was in chemo, I did an exclusive with Us Weekly and I got so many responses saying how uh, inspiring it was and it gave them courage to go through it because I seemed to be handling it. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm wide open. to talk about anything.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, I think, I, I mean, that's exactly it. So, you, you know, I, I think part of being a public figure as you are, and you have a huge following, it, it's very brave to come out and talk about what you've gone through, but I know you, I mean, I don't know you've, you know, we're not personal friends, although we are now, I think. Uh, I but so. I see I see you as a person who would want more than anything. If you can inspire one person who may be battling cancer to look at you as an example of someone, I mean, who is just you are so strong through all this. You're willing to talk about you've gone through all the chemo and all that. I just think that says a lot about you and it kind of, I think, fits in with your persona and not a by persona i mean just you personally i like to do what i call a bonus round and some of these i'm just going to come up with on the spot these are all kind of fun let's do it let's hit the bonus round jack so here we go okay do you have a favorite movie um yeah
1: i i I got a few you know i and it might change based on how i'm feeling i i just love the whole story behind Goodwill Hunting, of course, because it means so much to me. It's not a cinematic achievement like Ten Commandments or Ben Hur or <laughs> Citizen Kane or Out of Africa or, or, or you know the great Scorsese movies and all of that. But it meant so much, and by the way, it's re- very well done. I'm not saying it's not. Oh, it's it was a great movie. It was shot much more in an intimate style than in a wide scope cinematic. It's a character-driven way. piece, and I'm so happy that these two actors could get together and put this together, and how it fell together, and how they got Gus Van Zandt to direct it, and how they got Robin Williams to play the the part of Didn't they take their moms to the Oscars? Uh, I think so. That sounds awful familiar to me. I think they they did. That's probably what happened. Uh, But it's just such a great story. And I grew up in that neighborhood of South Boston. Let's just say I understood a lot of what Matt Damon's character was going through. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, it's it's wonderful because at the end, he puts it all aside and just goes for what it is that he knows is real. And that's love. And that's the most important thing. And leaving it all behind in pursuit of that. And this little junk box car down the mass turnpike on the way to California to go <laughs> see Skyler. And yeah. really because of the way it resonates for more than one reason. Yeah, I would have to say right now that's what I'm feeling. But I also love Raging Bull. What a great movie that was. Oh. When I first saw it, I was just, wow, my head exploded. It was just, I've, I've never felt this way about a movie before. And I was a yeah. kid. And I was so upset. Obsessed. I was watching the Oscars the next year uh, when it was up for an award and it lost to ordinary people. And I said, how? And I hadn't seen oh. ordinary people. Of course I made the mistake of prejudging. I said, how can this be better than, than raging bull? Uh, and, and I love Robert Redford, Mary Tyler Moore and Tim Hutton. I just, I hadn't seen it at that point. Oh, it, it was
0: a great movie, but sure. yes. Uh, raging Bull. Come on. At the end of the decade, it was named movie of the decade. It was. Uh, and didn't dances with wolves beat out Goodfellas for Best Picture that year? Uh, Gonna have to check that. Not, but that's another one. Uh, on like
1: another that. year, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, listen, yeah, on a I different year they come up with the winners. But as a kid, I was offended because that movie I thought just changed.
0: Oh, well, Raging Bull is One of the all-time
1: But I mean, absolutely Godfather was another great one. And and I love comedies as well, so there's a there's a ton of those. Cuckoo's Nest.
0: Uh yep. Jack, wait a second. the start. Lambs, one, one. You're Wait, wait, wait. Have you been watching a lot of uh, this at home? Because I literally just watched, uh, not for the first time, obviously, Silence of the Lambs and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and was blown away by it. both movies. They're so different, and yet they're perfect movies, meaning there's not one flaw. You know, some movies, the ending just lets you down or whatever, or some flaw in it, even though I respect filmmakers so much, far be it for me to judge, but I'm just saying One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And Silence of the Lambs that you both mentioned, just spectacular films.
1: Abs- absolutely. I could watch them over and over, even though I knew it happened, and not out of boredom, just to learn something else about them again. And yeah. and, and really, they studies in humanity. I mean, you could say one is a pseudo-horror film like Silence of the Lambs, and it's the cat and mouse between... Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster and all of that. Uh, Cuckoo's Nest. How at the end, Chief puts him, puts uh, Jack Nicholson out of his, yep. out of his m- misery. Uh, oh, it's just devastating. And yeah. it's this fish out of water. And the whole time you're saying, does he belong here? Does he not? And how he changed the whole culture inside there, and of course paid for it with his life. And yep. after they gave him, but they try to give him a shock treatments and he pretended like the they were yeah. but then the lobotomy and he was gone then. And just it, yeah. it, how unfair the system is that they could do something like that to someone. We all feel cheated by something at some point in our life. And we, we, associate with McMurtry in some way, even though what he did yeah. was bad. I mean, he he I apparently I if I remember correctly had sex with an underage girl and we all know that's wrong. Does he belong in an insane asylum? But maybe back then he did all, so it's not again a justification of the character. It's just the fascinating part of that movie. And and yeah. it, 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 it won the actors. It won best actor, best actress. Uh and in-
0: deservedly so
1: Louise yeah. Fletcher and, um, and and made Brad Dora. yeah Coo- Brad Cuckoo's Nest yeah. won all four of them, and that hadn't happened since it happened one night. And then, of course, next time it happened was Silence of the Lambs, Best Actor, right. Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor and Actress. But before it did, before those did, I was moved by those movies in real time. Yeah, and that's why they're some of my favorites. Just wonderful accomplishments in cinema and acting and directing and all of that.
0: And for you, it certainly resonates being an actor and just recognizing the brilliance of what goes on. But even just anyone can watch those movies and be like, my God, look at the genius in that, the beauty of it, the artistic expression. I remember my, at the time I was a preteen, I couldn't even drive yet. And my sister and her then boyfriend who later became her husband snuck me in to see one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And I was like probably 13 or something. And I didn't know what was going on, but it was quite an experience for me. I think your picks are great on on, on best movie. And let's
1: not sleep on The Godfather either. Oh. Another great one, right?
0: Oh, my God. One and two.
1: <laughs> sure. A rare case in which the sequels as good or better than the original.
0: They won best picture two years apart.
1: And here's another thing for you, being a movie fan that you are. The only character in history in which an actor has won – best actor playing that character twice is Vito Corleone. There you go. So yep. it was uh, obviously. Marlon uh, Brando and. Brando won it for the first. And De Niro. And, and De Niro for the second.
0: That's really interesting. You know your stuff, Jack.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I'm just old and I've been around. Uh, now, that's so. what I always say. So, by uh, the way, yeah. all three of those movies, you can tell the impact carries on, because my friends and I go around doing lines from all of those movies, everything from with The Godfather, where he said, yeah, anyway, I'm drinking more wine these days. You know, we all do these silly impressions, or uh, Nicholson in Cuckoo's Nest, we took a vote, and we're gonna watch the World Series. <laughs> to, to, and, and we do it badly, just like I was, but we keep doing it to this day, and they've been out for decades, and then, of course... Anthony Hopkins, who in the... Oh, yeah. Hello, Clarice. You know what you look like to me. You look like a rude, good shoes and fancy, whatever you say. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we make up lines at this point anyway.
0: You when know what I just, know? Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> That's
1: it. Anyway, sure. All of it. Like you say, near-perfect movies. I don't think art is ever perfect because you'll find someone to say this, that, or the other, and it shouldn't be perfect. But, but it should be a perfect expression of 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 all these people coming together at the time and it's a snapshot of that moment in history and it lasts forever.
0: Well, you know, it's yeah. interesting about that. I had a guest uh, last week who, she's m- much younger than you and I and the usual suspects for her was a mind blower because, you know, the twist at the end sure. and then when she so well. young, I think she was, I forget how old she was when she saw it, but she realized the, the power of great filmmaking and editing to take you on a, on a road that you think you're on and then blow your mind at the end with something that's just so perfect. And we've all had those moments, especially coming up and we've seen you and I've seen so many movies that it's hard to trick us at this point. That's why, when it happens to me now, I'm like, wow, like parasite did that to me. I'm like, Holy crap. What Whoa. just happened? Yeah. You know, Parasite
1: uh, sixth sense crying game, mm-hmm. uh, like you say uh you know these uh all, all the, the the perfect twists uh, usual suspects i think that that's what's really great about about that still that we give in so much that we allow ourselves to be surprised you know people ask me do you still enjoy movies as an actor and a host I said even more so yeah. because I don't break them down how technically they're done. I know somebody is is in Nicholson's face when he's having a breakdown in in The Shining and he's going crazy and yeah. how hard that is with all these people around because I've been on a few sets, but it not none of that matters. It's just right there in that moment what these characters are going through. Oh, just, uh, th- is- I can
0: talk you know what that's our next uh, podcast. We're just going to talk movies. That's it because I. I didn't realize your encyclopedic uh, knowledge of movies and. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, so Everything to me. I, know,
1: I told you I don't know anything other than what I just told you. I'm out now. Uh, Man-
0: I I don't know about that. I'm going to test you later. Um. Well, we got to wrap up. I want you, Jack Maxwell, to tell us where we can find you, what you're doing next, whatever, wherever you are. We want to be. You may not want us there, though. <laughs> but.
1: Of and anyone who sees me and wants to say hi, please do. If you want to punch me in the nose, please yeah, don't no, do not Keep your distance. <laughs> but you say hi. And even if it's during the pandemic and we're both wearing masks, there you come go. up and say hello. That's fine with me. Uh, I'm on social media, of course, like uh, apparently nine tenths of the world. And my handles on Instagram and Twitter are Southie, like the neighborhood I grew up in, Southie Jack. Uh, and that's S-O-U-T-H-I-E-J-A-C-K. That's also my email address. I was giving you that. So, Celtic Jack, S-O-U-T-H-I-E-J-A-C-K on Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, uh, it's just Jack Maxwell. I guess you have to look for my face.
0: And what movie did you allude to? You mentioned a movie that you just uh, either wrapped or just shot. Uh...
1: Yeah, just a short film that I did with a bunch of wonderful people. My friend wrote it. And that's, uh, I'm sure, going to be coming out online and maybe to a couple of art houses. Just a short. And you want, then I mean, when you're I write you mentioned the and name and- Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I don't mean to to downplay it by saying just a short. Uh, it's called The Pragmatist, and I'm the pragmatist, the lead. It was so much fun to do, really great experience, hard for people to find. But on social media, I'm always updating what I'm doing. Uh, like I said, I have a couple of show ideas that uh, maybe we're getting somewhat uh, closer, at least, on one of them. And then, who knows, something can happen like this through auditions or whatever. I'm yeah. talking to other people about uh, doing a couple of shows uh, that I would like to do, mm-hmm. uh, given the choice, of course, which we don't always have. But uh, I just love it all, whether it's acting or hosting. I want to get out there. I'm sure, like everybody else does in the world. You know, it's really nice people reaching out to me, saying, uh, "You know, why I miss booze traveling now more than ever." And this is why I'm streaming it and 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 binging it because there's a couple of things that that you that you do that we can't we can't travel internationally or even domestically that much, and the socialization. I miss people. I miss being around other people. And that makes me feel good because I didn't know, of course, it was going to come in handy <laughs> who could predict it. Right. But at the same time, I love that people still appreciate it. And I hope they will uh, for, for years on down the line because it was just the honor of my lifetime. Uh, as, as you pointed out, it was just, it's a great blessing to be able to do that. And hopefully I'll do something else that people respond to.
0: Well, I think people definitely need to watch the booze traveler shows. You said earlier, uh, alcohol can be like a liquid hug. I think your show is like a virtual hug right now, <laughs> not to wax too poetic, but I mean, I watch it over and over cause it's just so, I, I think you're right though. People can't really do a lot of those things and it's just so cool to watch booze traveler and see all the different locations, all the great people. I think you're just the greatest ambassador, uh, just to bring people together and if if booze is the conduit for that and just it's not just the booze thing it's it's you it's the whole premise of the show i just think it's beautiful and uh it's such an honor i'm i'm blathering on because i'm a huge fan as i said earlier and i thank you so much jack maxwell for being on many screens big picture truly an honor for me and i look forward to talking with you soon
1: Thank you. I really love the name. And, and let me say one last thing, which I firmly believe I didn't make that show. The people that I got to visit with made it. Like I said before, anybody can host that show. They would have done it their own way, but I was lucky enough to. But thank you for what
0: you said. Well, thank you, Jack. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Sounds great, Paul. Bye-bye.